Amen. Well, Psalm 21 is a, is a psalm about, about help. It's, a, it's about a man who looks into the hills, and he, as he looks into the hills, he, he begins to ask the question, where does my help come from? I mentioned that what brings all of humanity together is that we need help in all different kinds of li- things in life. Uh, this past week, in fact, just a couple days ago, my nephew was uh, recently born in, in Hong Kong, and uh, just born, and, and we were uh, looking at some of the pictures that were sent to my wife and I, and, and, and how cute he is, and, but as he's there in the hospital bed, as he's just, just two, two days old, I, I look at the picture and I'm reminded that when we enter the world, we don't enter the world with everything in control, we enter the world helpless, right? We enter the world, as I look at this, this baby, my nephew who was just born two days ago, I, I look at him and I, I think about how helpless he is, how helpless he looks in that moment where he's just crying because he needs all kinds of different things. He can't feed himself. He can't soothe himself. He can't comfort himself. He can't clothe himself. He just needs all kinds of help. He needs, uh, he needs doctors and nurses and he needs his mom. He needs his dad around this baby. And, um, and for, so, for, for whatever reason, as we get older, um, what changes is, is, is probably just the kinds of things we need help in. You know, now as an adult, we can feed ourselves, we can clothe ourselves, and, and things like that. But there's other challenges that we face in which we need help with. But what seems to change as we get older is not so much the, that the things we need help with become less. I think as we get older, what changes is that we become more self-reliant. And we just tend to try to help ourselves and we uh, stop asking for help. Uh, there's, a, there's an industry called the uh, self-help industry that you guys are probably familiar uh, with. The self-help industry, and I, I googled it for sermon purposes and research purposes, for kingdom purposes. I, I researched uh, uh, how, 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 uh, what is the worth of the self-help industry with the books they sell, conferences they hold. I just, I just curious, uh, how much money do they bring in? And it, it was, um, I, I found that the self-help industry makes $10 billion a year. $10 billion. It's a $10 billion industry. I don't even know what that, that amount of money looks like, right? It's an incredible industry. And I th- began to ask myself, like, why does this industry um, have such incredible worth? Why, why are there people pouring out their finances and investing in this self-help industry? And here's my assumption. I have two, two theories, and I think it comes from these two words. First word is the word help. The self-help industry, I think, is so big because of the word help. Because what brings all of humanity together is this idea that we actually need help with things in life. We need help with circumstances. We need help with parenting. We need help with, you know, how to get a job, how to uh, go through interviews. We need, we need help with how to deal with grief, how to go through dark times. We need help with all kinds of, of things. And um, Throughout the research, I found that the people, the customers who actually buy these self-help books are, are most likely to buy another self-help book within the next 18 months. And so the people who buy these self-help books, they'll, they'll read it, and then in 18 months, they'll, they'll, they'll likely to buy another one, which should kind of tell us about the kind of help that they're getting is actually not really working. But this industry is so big because we all need help. But then I think the second word um, speaks more into why this industry is so big, and it's the word self. I think that self-help, the self-help industry is so big because of the word self. 
Because though we know we need help in all different kinds of things and seasons and circumstances in life, instead of going to another for help, our default mode is to try to control the help and, and have that help uh, in our own strength. In other words, we have this understanding that we need help with all kinds of things, but it becomes twisted because even with help, we're, we're trying to be in control. And so self-help is really the only kind of help in which we can still be in control. We get to choose how it's being done. Because when you ask for another, can you help me, you, you, what you're essentially doing is you're surrendering your rights to be in control. You are letting some other or even something allow that particular person or thing to kind of help you instead of you trying to control how you're going to get that help. But self-help is this idea that you need help, but you can actually help yourself. Self-help is the only help where you're still in control. And I think this is why we have so many idols in, in life. Um, I was watching this documentary, and I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it's a documentary, and uh, this, this film crew basically went to Japan and, and started interviewing uh, people in this particular place in Japan. It's called the, the Izuma. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's, uh, I think it's Izuma, and, um, and, and it's basically what that word means is the land of the gods or the gathering of the gods. And, uh, and, and what it is is you go to this place in Japan, and it's not just locals, but it's actually people from all over the world. They would at least take one uh, once a year a pilgrimage to come to this place, people who believe that there's some kind of power in this particular place because in this place called the land of the gods or the gathering of gods are all kinds of statues representing images of a different kind of God, a God of war, a God of peace, a God of fertility, a God of love, if you're looking for a spouse, you know, or a God of just um, comfort, whatever it may be, there's all kinds of gods. And what you would do is a lot of them, all you need to do is just basically touch the statue and somehow it's believed that you would actually get help with whatever you're going through. I want to show you a couple pictures. Uh, this is one picture. My guess is that this is probably one of the, the gods of war. When you're fighting a battle, this is a god that you would probably want on your side. And so you would come near the statue and touch the statue and uh, believe that, it, that this will actually help you. Picture number two is just a picture of some rabbits. But actually these rabbits are, um, are, are images of the god of uh, uh, good luck or the god of happiness. And so somehow if you were to be near these statues of rabbits, then somehow it would bring happiness and good luck into your life. Picture number three, here's a picture of a woman. She's laying her hands on what is called the wishing stone, and she's basically touching the stone and saying a prayer for whatever struggle or circumstance that she's going through. She has this belief that if I can touch the stone and just be around the stone, somehow her prayers would be answered. Picture number four, I believe these are just a bunch of hearts with some writing. These are actually prayers. These are actually wishes that people would write. And for this one, it's a particular kind of prayer. It's one in which people are looking for a spouse. They're single people looking to find a spouse, looking to get married, you know. And, and they're, they're, they're writing their prayers here in this particular documentary. They interviewed a couple uh, and just basically said, why are you here? What's the significance of you being here? And they, both of them said that um, when they first came here, they were single. And they wrote a prayer, put it on this wall, both of them separately. 
And they wrote it on the wall, and somehow they found each other. They got married, and turns out they, they, they both did this. And so kind of uh, as a tradition or as a, as a way of to honor the gods, they would make a pilgrimage to this particular place called Izuma to give respect, to honor, because their belief is by doing this, the gods have somehow brought them together. Another woman that was interviewed said that um, she came here and made a pilgrimage from a long distance because she was un- uncertain of her future. Her future was unclear. She was, she was alluding to her job and not knowing how, you know, what her finances are going to be like or what her career is going to be like. And so she thought that by coming to the place of the gathering of the gods that she would somehow be able to get help. See, all of these people who are seeking help have the same kind of human needs that we have. They're, they're, not, they're not just people that have some, some really off needs or different needs um, compared to the, the group that's here gathered in this room. We all have the same kinds of needs, but what separates us is, is where our help actually comes from. They need, the help, they need help in the same things just as us. But the question for you, the question for me, the question for us today is, where does our help come from? Where does your help come from? See, for us, uh, we may not have taken a pilgrimage or um, a trip to this place in Japan. Uh, Maybe we don't go to local uh, statues and and idols that have been set up, and maybe we don't touch these believing that somehow we'll get help. But, But do we not, in times of our need, in times of help, do we not, in much the same way as these people, do we not turn to man-made things? Do we not turn to man-made structures? Do we not turn to things that we actually can control? In times of need, when we need help, do we not turn to things that, that somehow, if I can just do this, as if it's a formula, if I can just do this, then I would get the help that I need. I want you to think about your personal life. I want you to think about, for us as members of our church, just to think about where we are and to think about where do we need help? And who or what do you turn to as the ultimate source of help? As we think about our church needs, as we think about where we are in, our, in, in this dark season of, of our church and transitions in our church, it makes me ask the question, where does my help come from? Where does our help come from? Who or what are we turning to? And so this past week, I really feel like God brought me and brought my attention to Psalm 121 because here is a guy who's looking out into the hills and he's asking that question, where does my help come from? Just to give you guys a context of what the psalm is about, the Psalm 121 is, is a part of a collection of psalms that they call the Songs of Ascent. And, and traditionally what would, it would be known uh, by is these Jews, uh, back in the days, these Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple where Jerusalem was kind of set on this hill. They would go to the temple of God to, uh, for three times a year for different Jewish festivities and traditions. And along the way, they would sing certain psalms and sing certain songs. And Psalm 121 was one of the songs that they would sing. Where does my help come from? And they're reminded that their help comes from the Lord. 
um, it's unclear as to which direction uh, this particular person is looking at as he's thinking about uh, the hills and, and where his help comes from. Traditionally, it's thought that this man was about to go on his journey to Jerusalem. So he's looking at the, the hills of Jerusalem uh, from a distance, and he's looking at the road he has to travel. And it's traditionally known that he would watch uh, the road ahead, and, and because in the middle of the night, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what kind of bandit might be there. You just don't know what kind of rock you might uh, fall upon, or you just don't know what kind of animals may attack. You just don't know what's going to happen as he's looking. It, it's known to, to uh, traditionally that he would, he would look into Jerusalem and wonder, where does my help come from? There's other scholars that actually believe that this is a man who actually reached Jerusalem, reached the temple, reached the hills, and having been with God, having been in the the house of God, in the house of security, if you will, now he's about to go back home. From Jerusalem, looking back home, he's looking at this journey ahead on his way back, and he's thinking about, man, I, I, I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold. So this is not your, like, two blocks down the road kind of a journey. This is a long pilgrimage that they would take three times a year. And so we don't know which direction they're looking at. But what's certain is this, that as he's looking uh, from where he is to where he needs to go, he has this, this understanding that uh, he's leaving a place of security and walking into uncertainty. He's, he's walking into a place where the, that there, the, the unexpected and the unwanted things in life might actually happen to him. He has no control over what's going to happen a mile down the road, what's going to happen next week. He has no control over those things. And I would even argue that he's probably full of anxiety and worry because he can't control these things and he's He knows that he needs help along the way with every step so that he's safe, so that he makes it. And he's looking and he's asking the question, where does my help come from? I I found this picture that I thought might help um, just to give you guys an idea uh, that uh, what it might have been like thousands of years ago for someone to look into the hills in the Middle East and just, you know, this is like, this is not like when it's 8 p.m. all the lights turn on and the city lights turn on. It's it's just going to be pitch dark. And you, you have no idea. You know, there was a story of the Good Samaritan where a man was beaten on the road. It was, a, it was from Jerusalem to Jericho. There were bandits there. It wasn't, it wasn't known to be the most safest area. And so this is kind of an, a, a picture, an imagery of what it's like for you to look ahead from where you are. And I want you to think about your personal life. I want you to think about even as a church, when we go through uh, from one season to another season, from where you're standing to where you want to go or to where God seems to be leading you, you ever found yourself in the place with anxiety and worry because you're like, how do I get from here to there without stress? How do I go from here to there when I have no control over that? And all I find myself with is anxiety and worry and stress. You ever been there before? Like the, the, the day you graduate from college and you have no idea what you're going to do, like how you're going to get a job and, and how you're going to pay the bills and just in, in a place in life where you're looking from here to there and you're just like, I need help. And you ask that question, where does my help come from? This psalmist is saying, My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. I ask myself the question, what 
kind of a person would ask this question in Psalm 121? Who would look into the hills? Who would look into their journey? What kind of a person would ask, where does my help come from? And I would say that the person that would ask this question is the one who has anxiety. Is the one who's not certain of what's to come. And as a church, we are not certain of what's to come in a month. We are not sure of what's to come in a year. I'm not even sure what's to come tomorrow. And that's true for all of us in our personal lives. No one has control over what will come tomorrow or the day after or next week or a month from now. No one does. And as you look ahead to your life, you're thinking, I'm going to need some help. Amen by myself. As, a, as one of the pastors of the church, as a, one of the leaders of the church, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly asking God, God, I need help. I have no control over this. Uh, my wisdom is limited. My understanding is limited. I need to draw help. But I need help from you. I need help that comes from the Lord. And it's this place in which he's looking in the road ahead. And there's, there might be some unexpected twists and turns, the unwanted things of life. And there, there might be things that he didn't expect and some challenges. And he's filled with anxiety. And he's having this dialogue and conversation with himself. This psalm is actually not a, a prayer to God. If you guys didn't notice. This psalm is a conversation. He's talking to himself. And don't act like he's crazy, because we talk to ourselves all the time, whether good or bad. I would even say that there's probably no one more influential in your life than yourself, because you're always talking to yourself. There's always a voice, whether good or bad, about whether it's encouraging or discouraging. And he's talking to himself. He's looking out. He's like, man, that's a long journey ahead. You ever felt that as a church? We're going we're to be in a long journey. We're going to be in, in, this is a long road ahead. And you wonder, where does my help come from? He tells himself, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. My, um, my, it's about 15, maybe 15 years ago now, um, maybe a little less, but uh, one of my um, uh, Old Testament professors in seminaries, he's kind of a renowned scholar with Old Testament stuff. His name's uh, John Goldengay. He says that this psalm is not addressed to God, but it's all about God. It's all about his attributes. It's about a man who's just talking to himself about his help that comes from the Lord, but he begins to list certain details about why his help comes from the Lord or why he's going to be okay because it's about God and it's about his attributes. Uh, One scholar named Daniel Webster, he says that faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Faith puts, puts God between us and our circumstances. And even when those circumstances may seem incredibly challenging and you're not sure if you're going to even make it through, that's where faith takes place. That's where faith actually takes root. And because faith puts God between us and our circumstances. And so I, I don't want us to overlook these details in Psalm 122, but, uh, 121, but I want to go over some of these with you as to give you hope, as to give you encouragement, not just for your personal life, but for us as a church that wants to go from here to there. The first detail of, of this psalmist, he says, as he talks about uh, 
his help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. In verse 3, he says that he will not, he's talking about the Lord, he will not let your foot be moved. He, will, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's talking about this idea that he who keeps you will not let your foot slip. It's not talking about that your foot's not going to move. The, the actual imagery is he won't let your foot slip as to fall on your back. He says he won't let your foot slip. Why? Because he who keeps you. And I, and I love the, the ESV version. I would argue this is probably the more, most literal translation out there um, to the Hebrew and to the Greek original language. And this psalmist uses the word keeps six times over and over again. He says that your foot will not slip because he who watches over you will keep you. How, how does that happen? What does that mean? It, what the psalmist is saying is that on your journey through the hills, through the darkness, are you with me? Through times when you're not even sure you've ever been in such fog, confusion, darkness, or you can't see what's right in front of you, and, and you're, you're, you're wondering if you're going to slip on something, what the psalmist is saying is that that my help comes from the Lord because one of the things he's going to help me with is he's not, he's not going to allow my foot to slip because what he's saying is because my God doesn't sleep. How is it possible that God will not let our foot slip? What he's saying is, is that God, listen, listen to, the, this, is, this is the very simple truth. He's saying God watches over our every step. God watches over our every step. Why would someone's foot slip? Is it because they wanted to? It's probably because they weren't paying attention. It's probably because they weren't careful. They were too confident. You ever been there? Like, I'm good. I got these new Timberlands. I'm all right. And you just slip because you're not paying attention to your every step. What the psalmist is saying, there is one who's paying attention to your every step. And it's not us, it's God. He said, God watches over our every step. And when you're about to fall, he holds you back up. About a year and a half ago, um, uh, you know, I was in California and uh, I grew up there. And, and uh, when I, um, my family and I had made the decision to come out to Chicago, we had, we had two cars in California because we drive everywhere. Um, people don't walk there. And, uh, and so we, we decided to just take one car to Chicago and sell the other car. So we took our car to CarMax. And, uh, and um, I, you know, I, I met the guy, the, 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 the guy that was working there, and he was going to be in charge of, um, you know, um, purchasing my car uh, from me. And, and we're just talking, and he, he's, he just asked me, hey, wh- why are you selling your car, by the way? And I said, well, I'm actually moving to Chicago. Our whole family's moving to Chicago. He goes, no way. He says, I just actually moved from Chicago a couple months ago. I was like, dude, you're lying, man. But he's like, no, 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 I used to work in downtown Chicago. And so I, I thought to myself, like, you know, I, wanted, I asked him, I said, what made you move from Chicago to California? Well, he said, because, he said, because of the winter. Because there was, there was the, just the winter is just, he just said, it's just, it's just awful. 
He said, but there was one incident that, that made his decision to move out of Chicago. He said that he's working in downtown Chicago, and during one particular winter, he was um, trying to cross the street, and his foot slipped on the ice, and, um, and he slipped, and he, and he not only hit his head, but he slipped kind of onto the street, and he almost got hit and run over by a car. That's what he told me. So I thanked him for sharing, and I said, thank you for the encouragement, too, because um, like, I'm, I'm about to move there, and... But, but he said, I, he's, he's like, I couldn't take it anymore. And he moved to California. Doesn't have to worry about slipping. Right? But you ever ha- had that happen to you when your foot slipped, when you weren't paying attention? What the psalmist is saying is that God watches our every step. God is with us in every step we take. I want to just say this is not just for your personal life, but I want to even say that this is for the church, that for church of the beloved. Can I say this? That God watches our every step. For church of the beloved, God is with us in every step. And when we're about to slip and make a wrong move, God will hold us back up and stand us to our feet. Why? Because even when we're in slumber, even when we're sleeping, God isn't. And he he holds us from our foot slipping because God doesn't sleep. Because he's awake. He's awake to your every move. He's awake to our every move. The concept that he doesn't slumber or sleep means that there is not a moment in which God cannot be bothered. You know, when people go to sleep, that means it's quiet hours, right? You, you go somewhere, you, if you live in an apartment complex, and, you know, there's usually quiet hours where past 10 p.m., you're, you're supposed to keep the noise level down because other people in the building are sleeping. It's quiet hours. Don't bother people, right? Amen? For God... Because he doesn't sleep, because he's awake to our every step, may I suggest to you that there's, not an, there's never an hour in which you have to be quiet with God. He never says, come back to me tomorrow because I'm about to go to sleep. He never says, come back to me tomorrow because I'm too busy right now. There's never a moment in which you cannot come to God because God is always awake. And God is always watching, and God is always with us. He can be called upon at any time. God can be called upon anywhere, and God can be called upon by anyone. He will hold us and let our foot not slip because he does not sleep. The second point that this psalmist makes is that he says in verse um, verse 5, he says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. If you're like me, when I first read this, I'm like, what the heck does that mean? The Lord is my shade on my right hand. I'm thankful for commentaries. I'm thankful for people smarter than me to, to be able to um, point me back to what this what the psalmist is really talking about here. And, and every commentary that I've read, is they're, they're all saying the same thing, that when, it, when he talks about that the Lord will be our shade at our right hand, he's actually referring to a military uh, illustration in which when, uh, back in the day, when soldiers w- would go to battle, when they would go to war, they would have a shield uh, 
uh, in their left hand to protect them on their left side, and then a sword on their right hand, and they would attack with their right hand. The problem is, is that with the shield on the left, your left side will be protected, but with the sword on the right, as you're attacking, you're also made vulnerable on your right side. Does that make sense? And so when you, when you were a soldier going into battle, it was known that you, you were able to protect your left side, but the right side is open to attack, and your right side is unprotected. It's the vulnerable place. And what the psalmist is saying is that he's implying that even in our weakest areas, most vulnerable places, unprotected moments where we're open to attack, he's saying God himself will protect. He's saying that on the right side where you're open to attack, you're vulnerable, you can be, you can be hit, he's saying that God will be your shade. In other translations call it God will be your shelter. God will be your shield on your right side. Isn't that good? Because I don't know about you, but I know that I have strengths, but also many weaknesses. I have a left side and I have a right side. Are you with me? There are things that you're probably really good at and you're like, I will never be attacked with this. But there are some things you know in your life where you're always vulnerable. You're always weak. You're always being attacked. You always fall. And what the psalmist is saying is that the Lord will protect you. The Lord will be your shade. The Lord will be your shield. The Lord will be your shelter in your most vulnerable places. What that means is that the Lord actually knows your weak side. The Lord knows where you need help. Amen? The Lord knows where you're vulnerable. The Lord knows where you suffer the most. The Lord knows where you're weak. The Lord knows where you're open to attack all the time. It says, I will be on your right side to protect you. He's saying the Lord is my keeper. He goes on in verse 6, he says, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. I thought that's an interesting statement. The sun will not, shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. It's not actually saying that the sun actually strikes you. What it's actually saying here when it talks about the sun and the moon, he's saying that everything that you and I may be afraid of, everything that you and I are in need of help for, everything is either between the sun or the moon. Does that make sense? He's saying that everything that can possibly hurt you, as this man is looking into the hills wondering what's to come of this journey, what's to come, what dangers are before me, what uncertainties are before me, As he's looking out, he's reminded that God, for him, there is nothing outside of his help. That everything is either between the sun and the moon. In other words, God is on watch 24-7. He doesn't just protect you during the day. He doesn't only protect you during the night. He protects you between the sun and the moon. He watches your every step so that you don't slip. He protects you on your right side when you're made most vulnerable. And he protects you in the morning. He protects you in the afternoon. He protects you in the night and through the night until you wake up again and he's still protecting you. Through the sun and the moon and everything in between, what the psalmist is saying is that with God, he's not limited. With God, there is nothing beyond his ability to help. 
He's saying, if there's something that's going to happen to this man, he's saying, if there's something that's going to happen to me, it's either going to be with the sun or the moon. There, there, he's, saying, he's saying, there's no hour in which God is just going to sleep and not be able to help. He's saying, at every hour, God will watch every step. That's good news. That's good news. And, and, and maybe those who are saying amen now are, are the ones who understand that the most right now. Maybe you're in the season when you're like, I don't know how to go from here to there without anxiety. I don't know how as a church we go from here to there without worry. And what a beautiful psalm this is to us. What a friend this is to us. That with every step that the Lord watches, and when we are made most vulnerable, where maybe emotions are high, and we're not thinking straight, and we just see darkness and confusion and fog, there's not an hour in which God is not watching. There's not a place in which God does not see our, and can help our weakness. God watches our every step. God protects our weakness on the right side. And God watches us through every moment of the day. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If you guys didn't notice, there's a progression here. The psalmist actually goes from the, the smallest detail, talking about the foot and every step. And then he goes a little bit bigger to talking about the weak side of our lives. And then he goes to talk about the time of day between the sun and the moon. And then he goes on to even bigger. He says things that are seen or even unseen. He's saying he will protect us from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep you from your going in and your, your coming out from this time forth and forevermore. He goes from the, the smallest specifics and details of our lives, the very little details of our life. I'm telling you, God knows every detail. But from every detail to the biggest picture what the psalmist is saying, he will keep you from the smallest of things to even the biggest of things. He's saying there is nothing that it's, that's hidden from God. And he's saying this God actually will keep us. That word keep, again, it's mentioned over and over again in this psalm. It's the word, uh, the, the English word basically to preserve, to, to watch and to preserve, that God actually preserves us. And what this is saying, is it's a beautiful picture of God holding us together, holding us in place, holding us together. So what we learn about God through this psalm is that He's not, just, he's not just saying, you know, let's cry out to God for help. But what he's saying is that God's help towards us is what actually holds us. He's saying that, that what actually holds us together, what brings us from here to there, is actually God's help. It's God's help. So I want to ask you, both on a personal level, but also as a church, what holds you together? What holds us together. Maybe you're going through a personal challenge in your life and you, you know what the psalmist is going through. You're wondering, how do I go from here to there? 
How, how do I deal with all this anxiety, with this un- uncertainty of life? And, and maybe you know how he feels. And I just want to remind us that what holds you together is not your education. It's not your degree. It's not your resume. It's not your connections. It's not your networks. It's not your bank account. It's not your giftings. It's not your talent. What holds you together is the one who watches your every step. What holds our church together in this time? May I suggest to you that it's not our gifts and it's not our talents, it's not our wisdom, it's not our opinions, it's not our education, it's not our degrees, it's not our sacrifices, it's not even our service, it's not our strength. What holds us together is God's help. And he watches our over every step. We are held together because God is holding us together. You know, if this was the only passage in the Bible you ever read, you might actually think that for a Christian, you might think that we never go through suffering. Because you're reading Psalm 121, and if that's the only verse you've ever read in the Bible, you might think, well, that means, I, that means I'll never slip. That means I'll never face evil. But I want to remind you to read the psalm in light of the whole scripture Which means that even if your foot slips, God has a way of turning evil back to good. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50? Joseph was uh, a younger brother. He had all these older brothers and these older brothers didn't like him because Joseph had a dream about God and a a dream from God about himself and that God was going to elevate him. And Joseph told this dream to his older brothers and they didn't like it. They sold him into slavery and, and Joseph went through a tough time in life. And yet every time he took one step back, it's almost as if God took him two steps forward. And every time he faced evil and suffering and and hardship and and uncertainty, every time he took one step back, God God just kind of brought him two steps forward. And there was a time in, in Genesis where Joseph meets his older brothers again, and you would think he's filled with bitterness and anger and resentment. But instead, what Joseph says to them is, what was intended for evil, God made it good. What was intended for evil, God made it good. So the psalm is to remind us that even when our foot slips, it doesn't mean that he wasn't watching over us. It means that he's actually going to use it for good. He's going to make it beautiful again. Can I ask you, church, can I ask you, what kind of a person, though, would not ask God for help? Knowing that God watches our every step, knowing that God watches our vulnerable side, our weaknesses, knowing that God watches our every moment between the sun and the moon, knowing that God even takes care of the evil that are that's seen or unseen. He watches us from our going in and our coming out. What kind of a person, though, would not seek God's help? Because I've been there before. It's the one who has placed our confidence and something else, even yourself. Maybe you found yourself trying to self-help yourself, self-help or relying on substances or just other people as if they were God. But the psalm reminds us of where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. The kind of person that doesn't acknowledge this, 
the kind of person that doesn't cry out to God and say, Lord, help me. I need your help. I need your mighty hand. I need your guidance. I need you to help me see. I need you to help me know what what is going on. I need you to help me discern. I need your wisdom. I need your patience. I need you to walk with me. The person that won't ask God for help, I want to suggest to you, is the kind of person that's got other crutches holding them up, allowing them to never be on their knees. You ever been on crutches before, anybody? Many of you guys know my testimony and how I had a year and a half battle with a cancerous tumor in my leg. I was on crutches for a year and a half. A year and a half. That's like, I'm Asian, so I should know the number, but like 480 something, I don't know. There's, There's a lot for many days on crutches. And there are some days when when I, I wouldn't, I'd just be too lazy to use crutches and I would ask someone to help me get around. But most days I would have a crutch. I remember during that time, we, my friends and I, we would go out to eat, just, you know, make a quick stop to get lunch or something. And I remember uh, having crutches and, and we would get out of the car and my friends would bring me the crutches and I would, I would just kind of, you know, uh, use the crutches to, to get around. And my friends would always ask me, hey, James, do you need help? Do you need help? And I would always say no, because I have my crutch. So no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Because I have my crutch. And I, I just want to help us to see maybe some of the crutches in our lives that actually prevent us from being on our knees and asking God for help. See, so many of us, we are unable. I just want you to, I wish I had crutches on stage with me. I just want you to imagine if I had these crutches, there is no way I can go on my knees. The only way I can actually go on my knees if I, is if I get rid of my crutches. Do you guys see that? And I just, I just want to present to us that perhaps if we're not coming to God and crying out to God for help as a church or in our personal lives, perhaps there's other crutches in your life that you're just holding on to. I just want to tell you that's only temporary. Don't live your whole life with crutches. Amen? Amen. Live your life being able to walk with confidence because there is a God who watches your every step. Don't let your job or your bank account or your savings or your 401k, don't let your friends even, don't let alcohol, don't let substances, don't let entertainment, don't let your, your network or your connections, don't let your giftings even, don't let your strengths be your crutches. But today, let go of all your crutches and everything else that's just temporary, that's giving you this temporary fix. Let it all go. And I plead with you, get on your knees and cry out to God who's watching our every step, who's watching and shielding our weakness, who's watching our every hour, moment, and who protects us from all evil. And even in the face of evil, he turns evil back into good for his glory. We have a good God. And for you guys who are members of our church, you guys know that we are in a difficult, challenging season as a church. Let's not minimize that. But let's not stay there and never look up. But let's look up. 
and see, God, from where we are to where you want us to go, where does our help come from? And may you know that our help comes from the Lord. I said to you that this is a man who's filled with anxiety and he's anxious because he looks at the road ahead and it's uncertain. And all these things that, that are unexpected and unwanted might actually come. There's a, there's a verse here in 1 Peter 5 or 6 or 7. I want you to look at the screen. Here's a verse that I want to share with you guys for someone who has anxiety. Someone maybe on a personal level or even as a church. Maybe you're on church leadership. Maybe you're just a member and because of our, uh, of our season as a church, maybe you've, you're filled with anxiety. And I just want to point you to this passage in 1 Peter 5. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exist you, casting all your anxieties, casting. He, he's saying just, just cast it, like just throw it, because God can handle it. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. The one who watches your every step the maker of heaven and earth, the one who shields us on our right side, the one who watches our every moment, the one who protects us from all evil, the one who watches our going in and coming out, he actually cares for you. And in your anxiety, you know what he says? He says, cast it. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say control it. He doesn't say control your anxiety. But isn't that what we try to do? We try to control it. We try to, no, 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 calm down, calm down. He says, no, 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 don't control your anxiety. Cast your anxiety. Cast this. Psalm 121 is not for every person in the world. This is for the child of God. This is the one who says, he is my Lord. This is the one who says, I will walk with him because he walks with me. This is the one who has received the gospel. This is the hope that we have as a church. This is the hope we have as a believer. It is a special privilege that we have because of God. That we can cast all our anxieties on him. Don't hold it. Don't control it. Cast it. But you know what? You know my favorite part of this verse is? Like I'm a Bible guy. So I like, I, I, sometimes I take apart every verse and every word maybe too much. But you know my favorite part of this verse is? Is that when it says cast your anxieties, did you know that cast is actually not even the main verb? That's not even the main verb. You know what the main verb is? The main verb is humble yourself. Because when you, and I don't expect you to know this except for maybe a couple of you guys who studied some Greek, that this word humble, the mood is imperative Whereas the word casting, the mood is participle, which means that when in this verse, the word humble yourself, that phrase is actually the main verb for the subject. This is what the subject is mainly to do. This is the call to action for the subject. It's not cast your anxieties because he cares for you. The main focus, the main action, the main verb here is is humble yourself. And then what casting is, it's, a, it's an adverb at best. What, it's, what it does is it's a supporting verb 
that tells you what humbling yourself looks like. Does that make sense? I know it's like past 5 p.m. on a Sunday night, but I want you to stay with me real quick. The key to casting your anxiety to God, the one who cares for you, the key to that is to humble yourself. And what this passage is saying is that what humbling yourself looks like is casting your anxiety. It doesn't say help yourself. And it doesn't say control your anxiety. It says humble yourself, not help yourself. It says cast your anxiety, not control your anxiety. Why? Because we have a God who cares. The only way you're going to be able to cast all your anxieties on him is to get rid of all your crutches and to humble, that's the main verb, to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand that cares for you, this hand that often comforts you and is warm, can also feel uncomfortable, but it's the same hand. And whatever season you're going through right now, if, you're, if the hand of God feels uncomfortable, don't resist it. Because the same hand that feels uncomfortable at times is also the same hand that comforts you in times of need. Church, would you humble yourself? This is not the time we elevate ourselves. Amen. This is not the time we elevate our, our, even our own opinions. This is the time for every member of our church, including myself, to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and to say, God, where do we go and how do I go from here to there? But to say, Lord, I cast all my anxieties upon you. As a pastor of this church, I cast all of my anxieties on you. And I know that my help and our help comes from the Lord. He watches our every step. He protects our weakness. He watches our every moment. And he shields us from all evil. And he uses it for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me?